Asia Tech Podcast. Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Welcome to Ashley Talks Podcast. Today I'm here with Gil Petersil. Big round of applause to him. Woo! We're so excited to have him here. Gil is a serial entrepreneur. He's a networking master. He's a professional speaker and he is extremely passionate about people. He's extremely passionate about speaking, networking, and he recently relocated to Asia. So first of all, I'm super excited to be one of the first people to actually welcome him in our Asian ecosystem. Gil, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Really, really happy to be with you, Ashley, and I'm really proud to be a uh, local citizen of Singapore now. That's fantastic. So Gil, um, let's introduce, I mean, you're a very well-known person in Europe and you're very well-known in Russia, I hear, but here in Asia, people are probably not quite sure who is Gil and what is he doing? So do let us know. You run so many businesses and do so many exciting things. Tell us about your journey. How did you get here? What are those businesses you're running? Uh, what's up? Why are you in Singapore? So, you know, the uh, the short story is that we needed a change in life. And when looking at different corners of the world, um, Singapore really stood out for so many different reasons, for family reasons and ecosystem and just future prosperity of the place itself. And it was an easy choice to make. Now, the story behind it is that, you know, over the years, I've moved home quite a bit, uh, more than most people I know. I've traveled <laughs> tons, but I started my life in Israel, and that's what I was born for the first decade of my life. And then, and somehow, in a crazy different reasons, and I don't know if it's gifts from the universe or if it's just my own kind of push in life, I moved every decade, ah. really almost every 10 years. <laughs> I moved from Israel to Canada was not my choice. My parents moved. Right. But then from Canada, I moved to England and I was there for almost a decade. And then from England, I moved to Russia and I was there for almost a decade. And now and you're in Singapore. Well, the decade was about over and I looked at my wife and I said, you know what? I think <laughs> it's a bad time to explore somewhere else. Now, in the past, it was just me. Uh, this time I moved with my wife and our little baby. So it was a little bit more exciting. On the one side, it was more challenging because we're moving a whole family and we have multiple businesses. But on the other side, I had a support system. I had a wife, I had a partner, I had my best friend with me. And it was a really easy transition because we took it easy. And because of all of our businesses that we have around the world, it was, it was a smooth transition because our businesses require us to travel. They require us to network with people around the world. And we want more. So why not Asia? Billions of people all around us. So Europe is not enough, right? <laughs> you know, I, Europe is exciting. I've been pretty much to all corners of Europe, both on business and on pleasure. And been there and done that sort of thing. Now I wanted something that's more exotic for me, that's more different, that I believe in a lot more in the future. So if we're looking at economies and governments, I believe in the future of Asia much more yeah. from a growth and prosperity and development than I do of Europe right now, to be honest with you. I hope none of my European friends are going to get upset. But it's just, I need to think about my family and myself and our business. And I need to think about, again, the next decade. And the yeah. next decade for me is very exciting in Asia. No, that's fantastic. I'm sure a lot of people sitting in Singapore right now are saying, ha, you saw. He didn't move to Hong Kong. He came straight to Singapore and he's not in Japan either. And he's not in Shanghai. So I'm sure you made a lot of people in Singapore very proud and very happy with your choice of location. And in terms of businesses, you mentioned very quickly that you run multiple businesses. So what are they? Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. 
So, you know, everything that we do today is, I, I would call, because of synchronicity. I am very much of a serial entrepreneur with uh, many, many successful failures. For those of you who are listening and don't know, successful failures are, you know, failing while being proud, failing where you could share with others, failing where you could really learn from what you've done, and failing and not staying down, failing and going back up. So I've had over 25 different companies that I've set up over the last decade of my life. Ooh. I started a business at the age of 14 with my first company. And my businesses have ranged from restaurants and juice bars to retail shops and mobile apps and a little bit of everything that you can imagine that I was just maybe attracted to. In the last six years, and this is very much because of my best friend today and my wife, um, our, all of our businesses are completely focused on education on tourism and on personal development. So one of our best businesses is, is what we call educational tourism, where we would take small or large groups of people, adults, who are interested in investing in themselves, but they don't want to go to an MBA right now. They don't have one year. Right. They have maybe three days, six days, and they want to go deep on something really attractive. And we take them around the world to different educational events. And we work very, very closely with Tony Robbins, for example, where just last month uh, in February, we bought 1,700 Russians from 83 different regions across, you know, Russia and ex-Soviet Union countries, Russian-speaking countries, all the way to Singapore. So for us, that business is attractive because we do the sales and the marketing, we do the logistics, we do the events, the pre-parties, after-parties, we do business introductions and networking, and that business excites us the most. Now, because of that business, and it, the way it grew so quickly, again, taking a few thousand people a year to different events, you, you, you know, you need a support system for that. And not Other just people. It's also Russians. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but for those, uh, let me clarify for our friends in Asia here. These are not just people. These are not Americans who are sitting there and thinking how to spend 5,000 US dollars for self-development. We're talking about Russians who are sitting on their couches and not very excited about self-development yet. So, I mean, this is a fantastic achievement. This is absolutely I, fantastic. I, I agree that as a country, the penetration for personal development is less than 2%. I'm not sure what it is in Asia right now, but in America, it's beyond the 70% of penetration. So we're, we, we need to, to work really hard with people to show them the sort of results they're guaranteed to get. So, and because of these businesses, other businesses sort of spawned from it. So we have a very active speaker bureau. You know, people come and see Tony and they're like, wow, I want Tony to come to my company. Okay, you might not have a million dollars to afford to bring Tony to your company. <laughs> Maybe we can afford you, maybe we can, uh, you know, offer you someone else that you can easily afford. So we have a very active speaker. We are inviting speakers from all corners of the world into the Russian speaking market five to seven times a week right now. So very, very active. We also very have a company that supports our staff members and our community members when they go abroad for excursions, maybe for flights, for hotels. And then all of our other companies are connected to personal development, a software company that we have, a consulting company that we have. And we have, of course, my company. You know, my company is supporting corporations, supporting, you know, government bodies and many, many entrepreneurs to understand how to build relationships, to understand how to create strategic partnerships, to understand how networking could be the number one tool in the business if it's used properly. 
I totally, totally, I'm on the same page with you. Totally agree that networking is the key. And every successful entrepreneur, no matter which corner of the world they come from, they tell you about this support network, about knowing the right people, building genuine and, you know, right relationships with the right people is really the key for your long-term business success. Uh, before we talk about networking, because I know that you met a lot of amazing people and you even run a course about networking uh, with uh, successful individuals, I would like to ask you, you set up more than 25 companies, right? And you said there were successes, there were failures, and there were successful failures as well. So what, um, what is this recipe for success? What can so, budding entrepreneurs here in Asia and around the world learn from your experience as an individual business owner? So first of all, I would say to the listeners who are you know, either young or active entrepreneurs, or even serial entrepreneurs, that in my humble opinion, there is no success or failure. There is the path of successful failures. Um, on the path to success, you must accept, be ready for, and be humbled by any level of failure. Failure with money and failure with relationships and failure with clients and failure with marketing campaign. You must be ready to go through the bumps on the road because there are no success stories without a massive you know, lineup of failures behind it. So they're all successful failures. I would say for me, the number one key to success are the circles of people that you have around you. You know, in Russia, we call it Sviazi. In Asia, we call it Kwansi. And this is something that's really important to understand that the current circle of people that you have around you was not necessarily your choice to have, which means when you were born, that's the family you're born into. That's a part of your connection. When you went to school, that's a part of the people that would happen to be in the school with you. So you maybe happen to still be friends with them. When you got that first job that you love, those people sitting in the office were there because they were there because that's their path in life and maybe you became friends with them. Just because those are the people around you right now doesn't mean that they're the right people that would take you from where you are to where you really want to be, to this level of success as an entrepreneur, which means you always have the option to step out of circles or to cut down some people in the circle and create another circle of people around you, of mentors, of guides, of coaches, of other entrepreneurs who believe in your crazy ideas, of other entrepreneurs who also fail but who share about it. They don't hide from it. And I think that once you're able to build a circle of people, in order to maintain relationships with them, in order to motivate them to mentor you, in order to get them to want to invest money in you, you need to have passion. You need to have perseverance. These are values that I think as an entrepreneur, if you don't have passion for what you do, then you better have a business partner who's extremely passionate <laughs> for what you do. You know, so again, you need that circle because, okay, maybe some, maybe an IT person or, you know, someone who's super shy and he's really good with finances. He's not so much of a passion that want to speak. Okay, that's okay. But don't think that you will succeed as an entrepreneur unless you're able to passionately speak about what your mission is and why you're doing this business and you know wh what you're hoping to gain and you're sharing the future with people. And I think the last thing that's really needed is open communication. Too many entrepreneurs don't share what they're working on. Too many entrepreneurs, you go up to them and say, what project are you working on? Well, you know, it's something, it, it, it's like Facebook, but I can't really tell you about it. It's the new Facebook. Yeah. Or, We're working on the new Uber. Mm. Okay, tell me more. Oh, no, I can't tell you more. It's not ready. Oh, please. You like, 
if you can't share, if you can't talk about it, then you have what's called a scarcity mindset. And if you have a scarcity mindset, you're thinking someone is going to steal my idea if I tell them. No, it's not. If you take action, no one's going to steal your idea. If you're not willing to share it, you will not succeed. Now, that's fantastic. Totally stand by that. Um, and you mentioned passion. And I also believe that passion is extremely important. However, uh, many budding and exactly budding entrepreneurs, they're asking, you know, how do I find that passion? You know, a lot of young people right now, they just start businesses. Everybody starts business for a different reason. Somebody says, I want money. Well, money comes after a long, long time of hard work and labor, right? Uh, somebody says, you know, I've got this great product that I'm bringing to the market or I'm solving somebody's problem. But very few of them actually start with passion. Yeah. So is it a path of discovery? Is it something that you stumble across? Is it something that you can just sit there, meditate and come up with? How did that happen in your life? So that's a wonderful, wonderful question. It's a question I've asked, I've answered, and I've asked initially myself to others, and then now I, I answer them on large audiences. I get this question all the time. First of all, people need to understand that passion doesn't just come. Uh, it really connects to your characteristic. It connects to your culture. It connects to your age. There are some cultures that it's not culturally acceptable to be an overly excited, passionate mm. guy, like in Russia, for example, like in <laughs> some places in Asia. Being an excited, passionate guy who's loud and outspoken is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's either <laughs> crazy or he's trying to sell me something that's illegal. There's something wrong there. <laughs> and I've come across that in my first, you know, months and years in Russia. People are like, no, no, no. This guy is too much American. There's something wrong there. I'm like, guys, I'm not American. You know, I, I'm an Israeli who lived in Canada and who lived in the world, but I love what I do. So what I would say to you listeners, first of all, don't look at passion as something that needs to come out of you like you're passionate about your hobbies, you're passionate about your lover in life. Passion is also something you can connect to just, what do I really enjoy doing that gives me energy? What do I, what, what do I enjoy taking action into that I feel it gives me more energy to do it even more? You know how sometimes you're like doing something and it's seven o'clock in the evening and suddenly you're still doing it and it's like, oh my God, it's three o'clock in the morning. Right. You're passionate about that if you're writing or if you're reading or if you're doing research or if you're looking into something or imagine you're talking to a friend about something for, for 20 minutes and suddenly you look at your clock and it's been three hours. That's potentially a passion that you have. You just haven't really discovered it. So I would say to people that in my specific case, passion only came out in my really late 20s, to be honest, 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 because um, whether you believe it or not, all of you out there, um, I'm an, a, four, a level four of an introvert. Um, oh, so no. There are, there, there are multiple levels of introverts and extroverts in the world. We're not going to go too deep into that. But everybody can look into – there are many, many tests online and understanding what sort of a person you are. And being an introvert, I only discovered that in my really late 20s because a friend of mine just told me to do this psychological test because it was something that could help me become a better employee in the company that I was with. And when I did that test, I was completely shocked because already in my mid-20s, I was already organizing some events and I was already kind of being that guy that was not really getting on stages yet. I was definitely not a speaker, but I was like outspoken a little bit. I was the one that was loud in the parties. But before that, I was the shy guy. I did not have a lot of friends. I was always the one in the corner. I was always the one that was waiting for someone to approach me. 
I, I was criticizing my, my, myself many times in my own head before walking up to speaking to like a beautiful girl that I wanted to approach or talk to. So I definitely had all the introvert syndromes that today I share with people how to go through it and how to break, not to change who you are, but how to break through it. And what I tell people is that as soon as that I discovered what makes me happy, which was talking to people and organizing things and serving people and making a difference in others' lives, I realized that it gave me energy. Now, as an introvert, I need to balance it out because if I talk to too many people for too long, I drain my energy. But I realized that I'm very passionate about helping people. I'm very passionate about organizing events. I became very passionate about learning because whether you guys believe it or not, today, uh, being a professor at two of the leading universities in Russia and very soon to be a professor at the number one university in Singapore, um, I actually never went to university myself. Mm, I, I that's cope, interesting. I, I couldn't cope with high school. I got kicked out of two high schools uh, because I wasn't able to concentrate. The doctors said ADHD and dyslexia. The doctors gave my parents a, a report on what's wrong with me. And I really couldn't cope with college either. And university never came my way. So in my 20s, I understood that I'm missing something. And suddenly I realized that I'm very passionate about learning. But also I realized that I'm, I'm not very good at reading books because of what the doctor mm. said was wrong with me, which is true. It's okay. And it's only until my 30s that I suddenly became better at actually giving classes myself and actually being in that business. So passion is really a part of self-discovery. Don't rush to it. Just try to sense what drives you in life and what gets you going. No, I love that answer. I absolutely love it. So passion is something we discover only by doing things and actually noticing those patterns, right? And noticing and understanding who you are, who you want to be, where this is all going. And a lot of people shy from those experiences, shy away. They don't want to know themselves. They don't want to, you know, push forward. And they are, once they discover something that they're really passionate about, they go into the shell. They are scared, right? And then uh, some of them uh, come up with excuses. Because sometimes it's too much. Sometimes some people discover a passion and they're scared because it excited them too much. But maybe it's so far away from their job or it's right. so far away from their family life. And like, oh, whoa, if I do that, like if my passion is art, for example, my passion is music, my passion is working with animals or kids. But now I'm in banking or now I'm in finance or now I'm in I'm in I'm in IT. I'm in, but if I change that, oh, my God, my friends will not like it. My family will disown me. My I will not have money for my, my family. They start coming up with all these negative ideas. And what I always tell people, think about your life 10 years down the line of maybe if money didn't really matter, if it wasn't about money, if it was just you, and it was a choice of you being happy and you being able to do something for your family and being able to contribute to your community or the world, and you can only do that from a place of happiness. If you're not happy inside, it is very difficult to serve others and make others happy. So choose, you know, where you want to be and discovering passion is taking the risk and trying adventures and traveling a little bit more and trying things that you haven't thought about before. That's fantastic. And your business journey and your passion took you to the best houses, to the best business people of this world. So that's also uh, an extremely exciting journey, right? You met a lot of, uh, you know, uh, outstanding people of this world and you're working with many of them. You just mentioned that you work with Tony Robbins, for example, very closely. So can you throw us a couple of names of the coolest people you ever met personally in your life? 
And what have you, um, you know, what can you tell about them personally? What have you learned from them? Who are those giants of business and life that you respect and met in real life? So, you know, it, it, it's a question that is interesting because sometimes in some of my workshops, I, I get bankers, for example, I get entrepreneurs saying, Gil, how do you network with high level people? How do I network with entrepreneurs who are billionaires? How do I network with politicians who are like very senior? How do I network with celebrities? If I see a celebrity, do I walk up to them or not? Sort of thing? <laughs> and what I tell them is that, again, for in my life, it wasn't always a mission. But it really became clear to me as a mission in my 30s that a part of my drive in life is to meet and serve extraordinary people in life. I go through life meeting thousands of people a year, thousands if not tens of thousands of people a year. And it's almost like I put them through like a funnel almost. I try to decide who I stay in touch with, who I don't stay in touch with, who I serve, who I call back, who I meet with, you know. I call that networking priorities. And I try to really meet people who are amazing, not just, okay, he's cool or sexy, but like, wow, I love what you mm. do. I want to be near you because if I am near you, you will rub off on me and maybe I can rub off on you. Maybe I could teach you something. Oh my God. You know, when Tony Robbins says to me that he's not very good at networking and he'd love to learn more from me and he'd like to implement some of my techniques within his events. And now he's actually giving me a space within his business mastery event to run a networking zone. For me, he's like Tony Robbins being <laughs> such a high level, amazing person is very openly telling me his vulnerability. He's complimenting me and he's suggesting a partnership. Wow. To me, that was like, I felt like, yes, I, I can add value to anyone in the world at any level. And that's very much of a mindset. Yeah. Everyone in the world can really truly add value to everyone else in the world. So for example, you know, in November time, there was a big event in Moscow called Synergy um, Global Forum. A friend, of our, a friend of ours, Gregory, runs these events, and we've been his biggest partner for the last few years. We are the biggest kind of strategic partners in, in, um, in, in our business and in his business and in Russia as well. We do the biggest things together. One of the speakers at that event was Richard Branson. Now, at that event, we manage a massive, massive networking zone that, you know, we help thousands of people really connect like dating. And I'm a big fan of Richard Branson. And I didn't want to just meet Richard and take a picture. That was not interesting for me. Just not, like, Richard, can I have a selfie? No. Nah. My interest was to get into Richard's green room, which is the backstage room before the event. My objective was to sit down with him try to somehow, I didn't know how, manage a conversation with him and find a way to add value to him. So again, long story short, of course I got into the backstage, you know, connections. <laughs> this, this, this. Of course, through my charm, I managed to get into Richard's uh, dressing room. Who would of have course, doubted? Through my, I, I, through my uh, well, actually I doubted because again, on my <laughs> one side, I'm an, I'm an introvert, guys. Remember, I doubt myself constantly like all other human beings. The difference is I've reprogrammed my mind and I teach people how to do that today, that within seconds you switch that back into, of course I can, why not? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? So managed to sit with Richard and within a few minutes I got Richard to share with me that he wants to launch Virgin Airline in Russia. He wants to launch it, Moscow-London flights. The first thing I was able to tell him, Richard, you know that our company regularly takes massive groups of people from Moscow 
to London for Tony Robbins events. He's like, wow, Tony Robbins is a friend of mine. I know he's a friend of mine as well. Cool. We suddenly have something in common. I'm like, Richard, I'll tell you what. If there's any chance that we can align your launch date of Virgin Airline in Moscow around a Tony Robbins event, I guarantee that I will take the first two planes myself. I will fill up the first two planes with Tony Robbins community members going from Moscow to London. Richard, within seconds, looked at the PA and said, give him my business card right now. Be in touch with this man. Let's do something together. That was in the first five minutes. We then continued to talk for another 25 minutes. I had a 30-minute conversation with Richard Fantastic. about island, about tennis, about food. Now, these sort of stories continue to happen in my life because I believe in meeting extraordinary people. The way I met uh, Brian Tracy, you know, was, to me, he's been a, he's been a, um, a mentor from a distance for, from in my life. I think mo- many people in the audience know who Brian Tracy is. I, I would see him as the number one sales trainer in the world right. for years. The guy is in his 70s now. And I remember that a couple of years ago, someone offered me five minutes on stage before Brian. Now, of course, I said yes. Like, like are you kidding me? Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll take one minute before Brian on stage. And it was in my early career as a speaker because I really started getting on stage just three years ago. And I said, yes, of course, it would help my career. You know, I, I jumped on it. The attractive part was that during the VIP lunch, they put me as the only other speaker next to Brian. Now, Ooh. I only had a few real minutes to speak to Brian because Brian was answering questions from the rest of the audience. But I managed to use some of my techniques in complimenting him, asking him questions and finding a way to follow up, which my three level techniques. And what I did, I managed a way to follow up with him because I knew that a month later, I would be sharing a stage with him again on a bigger event. My objective was that he would remember who I was. I didn't think it would ever happen again. My this side was doubting and doubting. Brian is so busy. He goes stages every single day. At that event, about a month and a half later, I walk into the green room. And in this green room is some of the biggest people in Russia, definitely the biggest guys in Russia. But Brian Tracy was there. Keith Ferrazzi was there. The guy who wrote yeah. Never Eat Alone, who's a massive mentor of mine in the, in the yeah. networking. Um, a giant. You know, and, and a few other really, really big guys. And I was back to being an introvert. I was back to being, should I walk out of the room? I was the youngest person in the room. I was the only one wearing a suit. Everybody else was just wearing open shirt, no, no, like a jacket, but no tie. So I was like, I thought, oh shit, am I overdressed? You know, <laughs> I started, crit- I started criticizing myself. This is all split seconds. The gill in me said, take three steps into the room right now. I don't like, they're all busy talking, you know, they're all older than me. Take three steps. I take three steps and I'm like, uh, I, Brian and I catch eyes. This man stands up and reaches out and says, hi Gil, good to see you again. Oh no. Ladies and gentlemen, if you understand what an introvert feels like, suddenly I felt Superman, suddenly inside, Brian Tracy knows my name, oh my God, ah, you know? And right away, everyone in the room looked at me and understood that there's authority in the room as well. One by one, they all stood up and introduced themselves. That was one of the greatest moments of my speaking career that really took me on a breakthrough moment to the next level. And there's so many more people that I have met in different hotels and different scenarios and and planes and walking up to someone like Steven Seagal and like 
just like there's like celebrities, politicians, you know, Abramovich, if some of you know it, the Russians would know it, you know, one of the biggest, richest people in this country. I, I saw him at an event and I just walked up to him and managed to talk to him and he actually gave me his business card, you know. So for me, it's, it's, it's one of those rules of if you respect someone, try to get their business card in less than a minute. No, that's fantastic. And then follow up, and then follow up later. And you were talking about so many business, so many rules of how to actually network. And you're saying my rule is, you know, one minute rule and take the three steps and, you know, you deliver value. So do you have a couple of steps that you would want to uh, offer to the budding uh, networkers that want to come up to Gil on stage one day or behind the stage and, you know, a network with you or some other uh, high status people? What are those rules? Sure. So, you know, first of all, in my head, there are rules because as humans, what we have is we have what's called a belief system. Mm. And a belief system for every human are a set of rules that we are guided by based on our education, based on our culture, based on our upbringing, based on our parents and our society. We are programmed differently. This is why if you, for example, Ashley, go to a restaurant right now, I guarantee you that you will not see one other woman wearing the same dress and the same hairstyle that you have, which is both very beautiful today. You will not. Why? Because we are programmed differently. And because of this program, we need to understand that we, again, we follow a set of rules. Now, the cool thing is rules could be changed. Rules could be broken. Good. If I'm a set of rules and a set of programs, I can reprogram myself and I can change the rules, which means this is something I became aware of. And I completely reprogrammed Gil. The person you see in front mm. of you is not the one who was there five years ago, who was completely broke, almost bankrupt, and couldn't pay rent for a few months. It wasn't the person that was there 10 years ago who was shy and didn't know how to talk to people and didn't really know how to approach a woman who's now my wife. But <laughs> she looked at me times and I understood that I had to walk up to her. So I would say that to you guys out there, this is more of a, of a set of life hacks that you could try, not once, try them three to five times, and see how they work. So don't look at them as success or failure. Look at them as successful failures again and see, okay, how can I do that better? So almost like a Kaizen approach of continuous improvement. So first of all, I would say that when you're connecting with people, in your mind, people believe that the first way of connection is breaking the ice, connecting with people, saying something right away. Mm. Um, breaking the ice in general is awful because what you're saying is actually something quite aggressive. You want to disrupt someone. You want to say something to them that they would give attention to you. I would say more about, think about melting the ice. So mm. it's a more of a longer process. And when people are saying, what's a good icebreaker? What's a good thing to say to people to start a conversation, Gil? I say it doesn't exist because it's actually not the first step of networking. The first, of, the first step of networking is actually only in your head. Looking at a person and thinking positive thoughts about that person and about yourself. Why should I be talking to this person instead of why should I not be talking to this person? Yeah. What value can I offer this person instead of, oh, I don't know what value I can offer this person. Thinking something like, well, I know I could talk to this person for at least two minutes and then see what happens instead of like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say to him for two minutes, so I might as well not talk to him. So it's almost like a complementing positive mindset of being able to have build up the confidence and talking to anyone. And this is the number one rule. First of all, be thinking before walking up to anyone or in that split second of walking up to someone, be thinking, 
wow, that's a really beautiful suit. Or I love the way he smiles and he seems like he has a really good energy. Or the way he's standing looks very, very confident. So that's the sort of person I want to talk to tonight because I think I'll learn something from him. Or that's the sort of woman I'd love to engage with right now because that's the sort of woman that I see myself ending up with one day, but I'm not going to tell her that right away. You know, <laughs> having a, a positive mindset such connecting with strangers, not easy. That's number one rule. Number two rule is understand the three to one question rule. Don't walk up to someone and think that you need to sell yourself to them. In yeah. most cases, people want to tell someone else about who they are because they think, if I tell you how great I am, you will like me and you will want to talk to me. That is completely wrong and selfish and just a massive misunderstanding in the world. If you listen to someone and you ask them questions about themselves, they will like you so much more because they're thinking, wow, this person is interested in me. Wow, this person likes me. Wow, this person wants to talk to me. Great, let me talk to him. And now it's my turn to ask him a question, which mm. means... When you walk up to someone, yes, you can ask, hi, how are you? You know, how are you enjoying the event so far today? It's very, very nice. You're asking them open-ended questions. So don't ask them, do you like the food today? Or did you like the speaker? Or are you enjoying yourself? Avoid yes, yes no. no. Those are just very short answers. And then you'll be stuck. Uh, oh, shit, what do I ask now? It's better to ask open-ended questions because while they're answering it, two things happen. One, they're giving you food for thought. They're telling you, hey, based on my answer, you can prepare yourself and ask me another question. Nice. You have time to think. As an introvert, I need time to think. <laughs> the second thing, you're also, if you listen carefully to people's answers, they will give you a guide of what they want to talk about, which is amazing. Imagine knowing what people want to talk about. As long as you could talk to them about what they want to talk about for a few minutes, then you can very easily talk about what you want to talk about and they'll listen to you because that's how reciprocity works. If you do something for someone, someone sort of feels inside that they want to do something for you as well. So that's the art of asking people questions. And most human beings that I know have never gone to journalism school, so they didn't professionally study how to ask people questions in order to engage them. What I tell them is I have, of course, a set of questions, but the easiest thing for people to do Go on Google and type top 10 questions to ask people in order <laughs> or top 10 questions to ask customers in order to build rapport, top 10 questions to ask people in order to build trust, top 10 questions to ask your investors, top 10 questions to ask women, or even better, top 10 questions not to ask women. Yeah. Oh my God, that was a discovery for me. There are some questions that you should never ask women, ladies and gentlemen, um, <laughs> you know, don't ask her how old she is. Don't ask her if she's pregnant because she maybe she ate a big dessert. You know, you never know. <laughs> there are rules out there and they're all written on Google. So why not like learn? And the third one is the following up respectfully, which is a weakness of the world. This has nothing to do with necessarily cultures or people or age group. It's a weakness of the world because, again, people have limiting beliefs and they have these rules. And the, the respectfully following up, like I have a whole, um, you know, a chapter in my book about it. I have a massive program on it. You know, follow up strategically is something that I have like corporations like KPMG brought me in because they told me that, Gil, it takes us nine months to go from a lead to a client. How can we cut that down? 
and working with them for a few, uh, you know, weeks on, on different schemes, we were able to cut it in half because following up with someone is an art. And when I say follow up, it comes at different levels. First of all, you meet someone, they give you a business card. Um, is there a rule of how soon you should follow up with them? No, there isn't. But if you really, really like them, follow up within 24 hours. If you found them very, very interesting and you think there's potential, any sort of opportunity in the future that you want to see them again, follow up within a maximum of three days, maximum. Mm. If you lost their business card or if you um, don't have time, follow up with them at any time. It doesn't matter if it's one week, two weeks, one month, six months. I don't care. Follow up and be honest. Hi, George. I, it was really good meeting you at that, um, you know, um, cryptocurrency event three months ago. Unfortunately, I misplaced your card and I wanted to connect with you. Or, hi, you know, uh, Jones, I, um, I was happy to meet with you at that flower event that we went to. I, I remember having a really nice conversation with you, even though it was brief. I Unfortunately, I've been so busy with our business that's growing so quickly right now, and I didn't get a chance to talk to you, but maybe you have a couple of minutes to get on a Skype call because I remember that your expertise can maybe add value to a strategy I need to take right now. So you're sharing with them where you met with them. You're reminding them. You're sharing with them that your business is growing, so it's exciting new news. You're sharing with them that you know, you're giving them a compliment that their expertise could help you. So you're like, wow, they feel good. So follow-up is key. I can talk about it for hours, but that is the number one most important thing people should always do is never forget to follow-up. So you followed up with Richard Branson and you followed up with all the other people. Yay! And that realized in opportunities. Not always, because sometimes they don't answer. And that's okay, because it doesn't mean they don't like you. It's, again, a limiting belief. Most right. people believe if someone doesn't answer, they think, oh, he's not interested. That's not true. He's busy. He's got right. a family. He's got other priorities. Maybe he's just going through a divorce. Maybe he just had a really bad day with his kids. Maybe he missed his email. Like, follow up. Don't follow up and say, hey, why didn't you answer my email? Or, hey, I'm still waiting for your response. That's what a lot of people follow are doing, up. right? I know. Don't do that. Don't make them feel guilty. Who are you? What, they owe you something? No. And also, never send the first email with a proposal for them to buy something. Never send a first email with three, five paragraphs. Make it short. Keep it simple. Keep it smooth so you can go back and forth. So a follow-up could be, you know, hi, uh, Joanna. I, um, I, I wanted to really reach out to you because the event where we met last time was so exciting. And I'm actually going to another event next week. If you get a chance to also show up, I'd love to continue our conversation. And by the way, in, in the last email that I sent you, there was a very interesting article that I think you'll find, I think you'll find relevant to your business. So you're, you're smoothly referring to the last email, which hopefully was adding value and not selling. And you're also adding value by inviting them to another event. So you're just, it's an added value approach. And that is what networking really is for me. Networking is being able to continuously connect with people, whether they're strangers or, or people in your life and finding ways to add value to them. Not how can I take value from them? And if you do that, you will continuously achieve your goals in life. It doesn't matter how small or big they are. And that's an absolutely, absolutely beautiful summary. And I 100%, stand by that. Apart from being a master networker, you, Gil, are also a public speaker. It was actually an interesting discovery today that you said, you were such, you, you said that you were such an introvert, right? But you are a successful public speaker. You're constantly talking at huge events all around the world. 
So uh, what are you usually speaking about? How have you begun your speaking career? Why have you begun speaking on, you know, large stages? What opportunities does it, uh, did it bring to you, uh, in, to your business, to you as a person? How has it transformed your life? You know, Ashley, these are all really wonderful questions that, you know, I'll deserve a respectful answer. I'll try to give you one that kind of sums it up. So I was not a confident speaker ever. I was not that guy that would ever raise his glass and say happy birthday loudly in front of everyone and give a beautiful toast. Never the first one. I would go quietly and say happy birthday to the person, wish you all the best, you know, quietly. And it all really, I think, started, really started in my mid-20s when I was single, lonely, new in England, and really needed more commission for my, my business because I needed money to live comfortably and I really needed money to help my mom uh, who was a single mother, and I, I just wanted to help her out, you know, and I was stuck. So what I had to do is I had to like, you know, set up some side businesses with some friends and do some events. And I had to be the one that sometimes would find the guts, oh my God, to get up on the kind of stage and say, hi, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming, blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay. Aww. And I've made, I, I, I was like, you know, like, I don't want to say not nice words, but I was not comfortable with my pants. I was not comfortable with my stomach. You know, I was like, Ugh. but with, because I had to do it, I had no choice. I became better. It's like going to the gym. It's like learning how to cook. I'm a master chef today, but I became a master chef because when I was 18, I, I lived on my own and I got tired of microwave food and I had to practice and practice and mess things up many times. But today I can cook for hundreds of people. No problem. Gourmet meals, any size, you know, I love it. It's because I've gone through it. And with public speaking, it was a little bit in my twenties and then it really stopped. And then in my early thirties in the corporate world, my team used to ask me to maybe run a little training for them. So I did my best to get up in front of five people, 10 people and give a little bit of a speech. But I was messing up all the time, but I was doing my best. Again, the reprogramming of not criticizing myself, remembering that, hey, I'm here adding value and I'm doing my best. So if they're not walking out of the room, that's a good thing. And I should not focus on the people who are maybe looking at their phones and not looking at me. That's okay. Don't focus on the the people who are not active listeners. And the biggest breakthrough came here about five years ago when I was in one of the lowest, five and a half years ago when I was in one of the lowest moments of my life. Um, I was an, one of the co-owners of many, many companies, but I was not financially comfortable at all because my businesses were sucking money. They were all needing money to grow. They were not bringing me enough money to pay for rent. Uh, they were not bringing me enough money to travel and see my family. I didn't see my family for almost a year and a half. And I couldn't tell my family what I was going through because my, my family couldn't financially help me. Um, I went into a hole of the introvert. So I, I didn't see friends. I didn't go out. So I wasn't speaking, not just publicly, but I wasn't speaking to anyone. And it was really my wife that would said, you know, come on, like, you know, I support you because I was thinking maybe I should get a job. And she said, don't, you're an entrepreneur. Don't get a job. You know, maybe just go out there and speak to other entrepreneurs. And for years now, for about 15 years now, I've always had this passion for helping and for coaching, even though I never really studied how to be a coach. I've just been coaching for 15 years, some of the highest level people in organizations. And it started from low level people, of course. And that breakthrough came in, in June, um, about five and a half years ago when 
I was going to an, an event with entrepreneurs and I was just coaching people, giving them advice, friendly, not charging them. I wish I could charge them. But just <laughs> my, ment- my mentor backed up what Kati, my wife, was saying and said, okay, you love doing it. Go out there and just coach people and see what happens. Just go out there and do what you love to do. And someone from a management school called Skolkovo, Skolkovo is like the the, the Stanford, the MIT, it's like the Silicon Valley of Russia, guys. If you don't know what it is, it's like, it's where all it all happens, you know. Right. Um, it's, um, and someone from there saw me and said, are you a coach for startup? And I said, yes. <laughs> yeah. And he said, well, we're setting up a new program in Skolkovo and we're actually looking for business coaches. Are you free? I said, well, you know, I'm quite busy right now. Not really. But I'd love to find time to work with you guys. I heard good things. Within two days, I was in his office. He offered me a job. It was a part-time job to coach. At the time, he offered me $7,000 uh, to coach a lot of people over a two-month period. Now, back then, $7,000 was enough money to live for six months a year. Oh, my Ooh. God. It was, like, <laughs> it was a huge amount of money for me back then because I didn't have money. So for me... I had to keep my poker face and say, well, do you cover any other expenses? I was kind of <laughs> like, you know. But of course I took it. And a part of that job was not just coaching one-on-one, but it was also giving classes as a, as a professor in the school. And I had to do that every weekend. And that really pushed my career to, one, speaking publicly about networking, which was a strength, teaching entrepreneurs how to do it, speaking about strategic partnerships. How do you attract partners how do you attract clients or investors with no with no budgets if you have no money how do you do it and that took my career to a level where some of the students owned the company and they said hey can you come and speak here and someone saw me speaking in one of Skolkovo's public events and they said hey can you come and speak at another event and that was really it started off where five years ago I spoke maybe five times and four years ago I spoke like maybe 15 times I remember four years ago I had my first radio a presentation for an English channel in Moscow. And that really took it off a little bit more. And remember, I was still focusing on different businesses. And it's really three years ago when I finally said, okay, because again, I get feedback from mentors all the time. And I go to a lot of Tony Robbins events. So finally, I kind of really, it takes time to really become focused and really drive. You know, I'm human. I make mistakes. And it's really three years ago when everything took off because of that event I shared with Brian Tracy. Okay. And that event I shared with Brian Tracy was for 6,000 people. It put me on many, many radars. Around that same event, there was another event that asked me to speak. I don't know if you guys know who the Wolf of Wall Street is. Yeah, it's, we do. I think all of you know. So I shared the stage with the real Wolf of Wall Street, um, 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 Belfort, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, so Belfort is a very, very interesting guy. And when I shared the stage with him and I shared the stage with all these guys, Suddenly, I was, I went from not being a known speaker to being, oh my God, who's Gil Petersell? How do I not know about him? In that year right after, I had 120 speeches. 120 in one year. Yeah. My, my assistant, one of the jobs she had was to keep track of all the cities I visited, all the events I spoke at. And most of them, by the way, I'll be very, most of them were for free because I still didn't have the confidence to share my price or tell people how much I charge. But because I spoke, I got coaching clients and I managed to get some corporate clients. But I spoke a lot for free because it was uh, I was trying to serve. I was trying to make money, like any money. 
Last year, I did about a hundred speakers, about a hundred speeches as well. But most of those speeches were paid events and quite high level. So now I'm able to, you know, charge much more than most speakers that are in my level because I just jumped up very quickly. And I jumped up because I network with high level people and I serve people for a living. I don't try to take something from people for a living. Now, that's absolutely fantastic story. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are now thinking, oh, my goodness, if Gil could do it in three years and go from, you know, not being on stage or pretty much not being in that scene at all to 120 events, non-paid to then 100 events, mostly paid. This is a fantastic career. And I absolutely admire your drive and you're doing amazing, amazing things. So many, spe- many listeners would be really interested to know. So how much can professional speakers actually make? Here in Asia, it's still a very, inter- a very I would say, um, That is the $1 industry. million dollar question. Ah. That is, you know, yeah. So just a bracket. Let, let, me, let me tell, no, I, I can give you a couple of answers on that. So, for example, just um, less than a month ago, I was in, Australia, in uh, New Zealand, in Auckland, for the Global Speaker Summit. This is, happens once every two years. It's the biggest event in the world for professional speakers who are earning in the brackets of five to 15,000 and then 15,000 to 50,000 for one hour. Yeah. Right. So those are the sort of bracket speakers that were there. Through, again, networking and persuasion and absolute luck, um, I managed to be one of the opening speakers at that whole event. And the next day, I did a workshop for an hour and a half. And we spoke about two things. There was me and another gentleman, Frederick Aaron. We, we did a co-stage, did it together. He spoke about how can you become a keynote speaker only doing keynotes, only doing 45-minute speeches, nothing else, no coaching, no masterminding, no products, nothing else, and earn a million dollars a year. Mm. I, how can you be a keynote speaker, okay, but make products, make mastermind, make retreats, make strategic partnerships, make events, set up businesses, and make a million dollars a year? That was the topic that we started the whole event with. Hey, speakers, you have more to think about when it comes to being a speaker, because most speakers are very comfortable to make $10,000 a month. Most speakers in the world, we're talking about 80% of speakers in the world, or even more, are very, very happy if they make $10,000 a month, because depending on where you live, that's a comfortable living. You you know, in Singapore, in Shanghai or Hong Kong, $10,000 gets you an apartment the size of my toilet, and it doesn't really help you really (laughs) move. But this, lot of speakers make. Now, depending on the quality of speaker you are, depending on the topic, depending on how much you're willing to invest in marketing, depending on your mindset, whether you're thinking, oh, my wife is going to be my assistant, which by the way, most speakers in the world have their wife or their husband as an assistant, which I got to be honest, I did that for the first couple of years. My wife was kind of my assistant. But then three years ago, I said, that's it. You know, I need a professional assistant, and my, I need my wife as my wife and as my business partner. Very smart decision for anyone there doing business and family. Be careful, be careful, guys. You know, have respect to your partner in life. Um, and I would say that, you know, a, a new speaker can start with 500 to to $1,000 maybe with a three-hour or maybe a one-day speech, depending on the quality they do to get things going. I think that mid-level speakers could charge between three to five thousand dollars. Again, maybe for a two-hour speech or a full day, depending on your negotiation skills. And I know dozens and dozens and dozens of speakers myself. Again, owning a speaker bureau 
allows me to have a database of over 4,000 speakers and to see their rates. So I know how much speakers charge. I could tell right. you pretty much every speaker in the world and how much they charge. I could tell you that someone like, you know, Belford, the, the, the Wolf of Wall Street, will charge about $120,000 to show up. I would tell you that Nick Vujicic, an amazing speaker, could charge you anywhere between thirty to $60,000, depending if the charity is connected to um, a charity, the event is connected to a charity, connected to kids, or something that really loves. I could tell you that someone like Tony would charge over a million dollars to show up at an event. Right. I could tell you that someone like um, Guy Kawasaki, an amazing entrepreneur, you know, who's a big thing, big guy for a lot of people, would charge you about a hundred and a hundred ish thousand dollars. Right. So then you need to ask yourself, who are you compared to these people, and what sort of value can you offer compared to these people? Right. You know. Elon Musk said no to half a million dollars for one hour speech. He just he wasn't in it, into it. No, he wasn't into that event. You know, but Jack Ma will say yes to a free event if it's an event that can really change the world. Yeah. You know, Jack Ma was in an event, when an event uh, here in Moscow a few months back. Um, so, you know, it, it really depends. I have a speaker's mastermind that I've had last year, uh, very, very successful business people who never really did any speeches. But they had an interest not to become professional speakers, but to be able to charge for their time on stage. And since then, I've launched a few other multiple programs. And how do you charge on stage as a coach, as a trainer, as a speaker, or maybe even just as an expert? Maybe you're an expert in industry and you want to have some side income. So there are many, many ways of doing that on being able to say, well, cover my flights, cover my expenses and Sometimes you could say, I have this fee. It's a small fee, no problem. I, for example, sometimes say, well, you don't have to pay me. I did some programs with universities where I said to them, you don't need to pay me, but can you do me a favor? Can you actually set up a buffet of healthy food in the back of the room at the end of my event so we can have a little bit of networking? Because I knew that those EMBA students are very powerful business people, and I want to have more time of talking to them socially and if the food is complimentary of Gil Peterson, they'll be like, wow, this guy is a visiting professor and he just organized. And he brings the party with him. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And I do that often because I see the added value approach. So choose in life how you can serve and add value and where you can charge people because they need to respect your value. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So what would be your advice to budding speakers? In Asia, in the world, what are a few steps they can take to guarantee or to at least get closer to that level of uh, professional, I would say, stage ownership? Sure. So anyone that wants to charge um, to be on stage, again, professional speaker, trainer, coach, you could be a CEO that wants you, you want to get more attention on your company. You get on stages and you speak. And then you, that's free marketing is to get on stages and speak, which is what I do a lot for free. You know, last month I was in, I was back in Moscow for another event. There was an event for 23,000 people. I managed to get myself as a speaker for 20 minutes on stage, but without gloating or sharing crazy numbers with people, just because I shared some of the business's activities with Tony Robbins, we had $1 million in sales within two days of that event because that many people, if 1% buys one of my products, that is You are a happy camper. 
Of course. So you don't always need to charge on stage. You can always sell something after if you want to. What I would say to, to new speakers or any speakers at any level, first of all, if you want to be a speaker, get stage time. Don't be, don't have your ego saying, no, 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 no. Not fancy enough. Not enough people. They yeah. don't pay me enough. Don't. That's, that's your ego. That's your limiting belief. That's you thinking you're too good for your own money. And if you are, okay. If you are too good, then maybe that's you. No problem. But if you want to become one of the best, get on stages. Get on as many stages, charity events, high schools, universities, public events, auction events. It doesn't really matter. There are so many industry-related events that need speakers and they don't have budget. Now, you don't have to say, hey, I'll come for free. You could say, well, if you'd like, I can come to you as, as a complimentary speaker only if you can guarantee me at least two more events this year, paid events. That's okay. So what I do sometimes with corporations, if they tell me, well, we don't have much of a budget, like some corporations will say, Gil, we only have $3,000 for a budget. And I'll think about, do I want to take this money from them and this now becomes my rate with them? No, because my rate is much higher. What could I, but I want to build a long-term relationship. What I could do is this. I go to the corporation. I did this with a very large bank recently in Singapore. And I said, well, because this is our first time and I want to build a long-term relationship with you, how about we take the fee you want to give? Them? Your name and my name, we donate this money to this charity on our behalf. And this first time I come to you, I'm coming to you because I want to build a relationship with you. So suddenly the corporation is like, who is this guy? He's giving money. We're giving money to our charity anyways. He doesn't want money from us. It's like, we win, we win, we win, we win. Wow. And they don't understand that for me, I win because I have my name next to them in the charity. I gave money to charity. It's good karma. I'm coming and speaking to them, and I'm going to make sure to sell myself probably so they will invite me again. So get on stages. Number two, try to join associations. As soon as I got to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to Singapore, the first thing I did within the first two weeks is I did my research. I actually did my research before I got there. But I did some more research when I got to actually connect with people. I found out about the APSS. If you don't know about the APSS speakers around the world, check it out. It's the Asian Professional Speakers Association of Singapore. And join it. Join, this, join, join the events. Join the convention. We do have, by the way, an amazing convention in May. If you're listening to this, join us. Tell them you heard it from Gil Peterson. They might even give you a discount. I, I already came um, from Gil Peterson and registered. So you guys nice. also shall be there. So join association, join clubs, join places where you can add value. What I did as soon as I joined APSS, I offered my time. And within one month of joining, they allowed me to be a speaker in front of all the speakers. You know, so there is so, there's a thousand plus events every single day in any major city in the world. All you got to do is find them. Now, every, every Google, you know, access per point, you can always type events in this city. Every country has its own special website that tells you all the local events. Reach out to them, show up, talk to the organizers, hustle, hustle, hustle. Basically, as a speaker, you are an entrepreneur. If you don't hustle for success, no one's going to buy you unless you believe that people should really buy you. And in order for you to believe that, you need to get people saying, wow, I liked your speech. And in order to do that, you need to give a lot of speeches. Yeah, that's fantastic. Gil today delivered a lot of value to us. Uh, absolutely mind-blowing, mind-blowing. The last question would be Asia-related, and I'm going to ask you, what is your plan 
in Singapore. Right now, you are committed to hopefully 10 years in Singapore with yeah. you and your family. And you are going into this business, uh, new, very new business environment. And you're bringing, you know, your businesses somewhat to Asia as well. So what is the grand plan? So, you know, the, the grand plan is really now, this is just our first year officially in Singapore, because last year we were in and out, checking things out, living in different places. First of all, I want to serve the country that I'm living in, because I don't believe anyone deserves to come into a country and take from this country before you are able to give back. And it's almost like planting a seed of an apple tree waiting next to the seed and saying, Come on, I want an apple. Let's go. Not fair, <laughs> you know. And I believe you need to deposit something. It's like having a a networking bank. You need to deposit something in the bank before you can ask for something back. So, a part of my service in Singapore, I want to not just serve Singapore, but I also want to serve surrounding countries. I want to get on stages in Russia without being Russian. I now sit on the top ten list of speakers in the country. I am the number one foreign speaker in the country. In the next few years, I would like to become the top 10 speakers all across Asia. And I will do that. I have an exact plan on how to do that. I'd like to set up multiple companies in Asia, software and educational tourism, educational tourism, because what we do right now in other countries is successful taking people on educational journeys, educational retreats, helps them connect, helps them build this opportunities and helps them grow. I want to build my software company because it helps people maintain a community of mentors and coaches so that any entrepreneur can grow their business fast. And I want to also continuously launch mastermind groups because mastermind groups helps me surround myself with high level people that I can engage with, share with, support. So every year I launch at least one, sometimes two mastermind groups. This year, I'm launching a mastermind group. This is Hush Hush. You guys are going to be the first ones to know about Asia, by the way. The first ones, officially. Um, I don't know. Ashley, do you know who Jay Abraham is? Yes. What happens so with Jay? Jay Abraham, yeah, so Jay Abraham is, is a, a new connection to my life. Only came into my life as a connection last year for a really wonderful, very, very long dinner. And, of course, I've been following him because he's known in the world as the number one business marketing guru. And I've been to a few of his events, and we decided that this year we're going to launch a mastermind together. Um, it's going to be a mastermind to help businesses understand how to scale their local business into a global business. Fantastic. We're going to do this together. We're, we both are very well-connected people, so we are going to be bringing our connections of experts and mentors into this mastermind. This will become completely global, so we want Asia – we want Europe, uh, we want the Middle East, and we want America uh, to fully be a part of that. So really all corners of the world. Um, and we're going to be attracting, we believe, 100 people to be on this mastermind. So continuously, we're looking ways of adding value. So I'm excited about the next 10 years very much. And I'm also a free spirit. I, I don't believe you can plan anything. You know, I remember uh, someone very wise told me many years ago, if you want to make God laugh, Tell him your plans. Tell him your so plans. Yeah, I yeah. Have, I, I have visions. I have a plan board at home. It's very important with my wife. So, but we're also flexible. You, you got to be, you know, organic, and you you, you must be, uh, you know, continuously adapting to change in order to allow the world to change around you and for you to always be succeeding. That's fantastic.
end on this beautiful note, knowing Gil's big plans for Asia with tons of exciting value that he's bringing to the table for us, for entrepreneurs globally and in Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, China. And uh, we are going to end today's Ashley Talks. Gil, once again, thank you very much for being with us today thank and delivering guys. all this fantastic information and value. Asia is ready for you. We are looking to see you on stage, hear more of your podcasts, read more of your articles, and basically follow your journey here and also support your journey here. We are extremely, extremely excited. Guys, don't forget to subscribe to Ashley Talks podcast. Next week, we're going to be speaking with Chris J. Reed about LinkedIn marketing. So don't miss us on He's Wednesday next week. He is a good friend. And I mean, it's the, just a community of great people coming together and having chats. Guys, Chris Reed is awesome. Ashley is amazing, amazing woman. If you guys are not subscribing and not following her and give yourself one of those routines that like at least one hour a week, you're listening to a few of your mentors. I'm now listening to my mentors for an average of an hour and a half a day. I listen to people because you can learn so much from connecting with someone. And when you listen to something you like by any of your mentors, make sure to share. Share it with others because if you're sharing love, love will come back to you as well. So hopefully today, Ashley and I gave you some value. Share this with your community and don't just click share. Share and say, these are the top three things I learned from this. Highly recommend my friends that you listen to this as well. Share from the heart, golden words by Gil Petersel, and see you next week. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.